Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You'll also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. just be open and do what you think is right right because uh, you never know what could turn into uh, something uh, as an opportunity hey you are meeting anuradha venkatesh who's a rpa ai and ml lead with ford motor company talks about several firsts including being the first engineer in her family and uh, trying to move from building a bridge a uh, physical bridge uh, to actually venturing into software in gis in using java and using bi and she shares her very interesting journey and how she continues to be excited about learning and exploring new and new frontiers listen on good morning anu welcome to the software people stories I'm happy to have you on board. Good morning, Gayatri. Happy to be here and excited to talk to you today. As we do with all our guests, we want you to get started with your career. How do you introduce yourself? So, I today I am part of Ford Motor Company. I'm leading um, a work stream for marketing, sales, and service, uh, managing the applications under the portfolio of service marketing. as well as all the automations which are to do with the rpa ai and ml in the marketing sales and service space for ford motor it so that's my current position but of course my journey through the years has been a long one uh, now almost close to 28 years now behind me i did my schooling in baroda till my 12th i was there and then i moved to regional engineering college which is nit varangal i did my civil engineering there and graduated in 1992 looking out for civil engineering jobs of course uh, you know those days uh, civil was not an exciting career especially for women but yes i did get started with that uh, did a few buildings a few bridges which i'm still proud of and then i got married and moved to calcutta with my husband there i set up a small firm of my own uh, to do some design consultancy for civil engineering so again built a few stuff very proud of a few bridges which i had built on the sundarbans and then like any women right i had to go on a maternity leave uh, i was going to have my daughter and took my break uh, i was off for almost 6 months after my break we moved to delhi and there is where i actually started getting involved in software moved from civil engineering into something more easier to work with like software which was something called geographic information systems i don't know if many of you would know this is to do with lot of map data very very different uh, software engineering approach I was uh, happy to get my break there of course there was a little touch of civil engineering there because you know maps and civil engineering go together so that's how i started my software career i was there for a couple of years in delhi 
Then I did a six-month stint in Mumbai in the hope of moving to U.S. on a H-1B for my Y2K projects. But unfortunately, that did not happen as planned. So moved back to Delhi and then another year. And then in the year 2000, I actually shifted to Chennai. I was part of Hexaware Technologies, joined there as the project lead for Java. And that's when actually I moved into mainstream software development. Those were exciting times. A lot of mainframe, Java was new. Everything was hands-on, right? We did not really have so many tools to drag and drop and create uh, things on the on the fly. Everything had to be manually coded, uh, you know, getting every piece of information from the database to, you know, configurations. The XML was just coming in. It was all CSV files and all that. So it was that really exciting journey, learning software and becoming an expert in Java. So I grew up in the Hexaware to become the architect for Java. And I was very, very happy to uh, and excited about being part of Java Technologies, the J2E framework, the approach to, you know, interoperability and all those was really exciting stuff for me. And that's how I grew up in Hexaware. And in 2006, I moved to HP as a program manager, HP Global Soft, based out of Chennai. Started managing large programs, huge in size and complexity. Those were the exciting times I had in HP. Of course, Java was a cornerstone of my career. So I was having fun doing a lot of that with a larger program, right? Close to 150 people and almost three years and heavy complexity. So I had fun with that. And then moved to data warehousing. BI and data warehousing was really happening, uh, you know, late 2007, 2008, when BI was really kicking in and we needed people to make the move. I was a little hesitant to move away from Java, but then I realized quickly that how exciting a BI career can be. So moved my journey into BI and started experimenting with all kinds of principles on data warehousing and uh, you know reporting and all that fun stuff uh, with so many different technologies was there with hp till 2010 doing that and then moved to capgemini capgemini again i was leading a large bi engagement for them so that's how i grew up in capgemini uh, had fun with a lot of different principles learned a lot about data And data became my favorite topic, right? Always, if somebody asks me, what is your favorite thing? What do you think we should be working on? I would say data, right? Uh, That's because such an important aspect of uh, software engineering that if you don't know your data, if you don't understand your data, then whatever you do is not going to be successful. So absolutely, I think data is the cornerstone of any software engagement. So BI and data was with me for another four years with Capgemini. And then after that, in 2014, I moved to Ford Motor Company. And that's when it all started going in various directions. Ford Motor Company is known for its variety of flavors and the roles that we get to play. And absolutely nothing is restricted in terms of what you can do. So uh, again, moving from consulting into a captive mode was a very different experience for me. I started my journey with uh, Ford as business strategy, business and IT strategy manager. So (laughs) strategy is a very misused word, right? So of course, I had my own understanding of what I think is strategy. 
And then when I got involved, I, of course, got a very different perspective of what is strategy. But it was good to learn the entire business of how software is handled in Ford Motor Company. A strategy role gave me a very, very good perspective of the entire organization, how it comes together and how it delivers a software program. That was about two years into Ford. And then I was moved to China on an ISE, International Service uh, Engagement role, where I was managing a marketing and IT program, which is uh, Lincoln Sales and uh, Marketing uh, Program. Uh, that was, again, a very, very interesting program because it was uh, both vertical sliver for Lincoln and then a horizontal sliver because it had to go across all the different work streams for just Lincoln purposes, right? Okay. So... I could quickly learn everything from, you know, how product development is done to manufacturing, to delivery, uh, marketing, as well as after sales, right? So that's the end-to-end -end view of how Ford or any automotive company would work, right? So the whole liver of end-to-end -end activity across all the applications for Lincoln. So Two fun-filled years in China. Loved the Chinese food, language, learned a bit of Tai Chi. So had had a lot of fun going around different countries, meeting people and uh, seeing the vibrant aspects of China. And then back in Chennai, again, part of marketing, sales and service. And I was leading a large uh, um, order management, order to delivery solutioning, which was uh, extremely complex and uh, multi-year engagement. Uh, so I was managing that. And then in 2019, world again changed completely when I was uh, asked to pick up a role for RPA, AI and ML. And I thought I was too old to learn anything new. <laughs> Okay. And I was absolutely, I, was, I tried convincing my supervisor that, you know, this is probably not the right thing for me. I'm too old and uh, I don't think I can do this. Uh, can you give me some Java or BI kind of stuff? And uh, I'm comfortable with that or anything which is even large programs. Uh, I'm, I'm good with that. So I, it doesn't scare me. But new technology, uh, it definitely scares me a bit. Uh, so that's how I... Um, got into this role, uh, my, my supervisor told me, don't worry, you'll be okay. Uh, go ahead and explore. So it's been an exciting one and a half years uh, learning new technology. And uh, still, I seem to still have the ability to learn something new. So I'm really happy to see the progress which has happened so far. So yeah, RPA, AI, and ML uh, have been the new learnings in my life. Uh, of course, I'm also doing a lot of other uh, functional uh, delivery engagements and the latest of it, uh, which I'm really excited about in 2021, is my journey into e-commerce, implementing some of the e-commerce uh, uh, websites for Ford Motor Company. What an amazing journey, Anu. I have so many questions to ask. First and foremost is, you spoke about building bridges, right? Civil engineering. And you also spoke about being a business and strategy lead when you came to Ford. In fact, I kind of felt whether there were two decades of difference, that's a bridge, the physical bridge. Strategy and business lead must be a, a technology bridge between business and the technology, right? Is that how to read about it and any interesting stories there? Yeah, actually, the initial journey with uh, building bridges, of course, that was real fun because, you know, I don't know if, uh, and it was a very unique bridge, which I had built for, on Sundarbans. It's called a pontoon bridge. So it's got one edge on 
the soil and the other edge is on a floating platform in the water so that cars can come till the platform and then they get onto a boat a, a larger boat and then they can be shipped to the other bank so that was of course a very different bridge which i built and i'm very proud of when i moved into the strategy and business office role i was thinking it was going to be uh, some kind of a strategy on it technologies uh, larger uh, architecture landscape or you know what systems to implement in which space uh, that's my vision of strategy which i had but this was all about how we are managing our financials you know what do we invest on how do i manage my headcount you know should we grow should we not grow so it was a completely different view of strategy which i was part of uh, but i did have fun i did create uh, my dashboards coming from bi backgrounds i created a whole lot of dashboards which helped the organization to see various strategies and see how we could connect the dots into many of them that that actually was really helpful because i i did not have that mindset of working for a larger organization in terms of how you understand financials how do you work with a lot of legal implications uh, how do you manage your, your accounting process as well as the, the bridge between how do you, how much do you grow in what you have right and how do you invest right so that was a different kind of experience but a good learning for me excellent yeah in fact uh, when we look at it most of the times when we go with a curious mindset just a beginner mindset a lot of doors end up opening for us isn't it absolutely and i can give you a few examples on that i've had some great examples in my career the first one i can probably share is when i was just a software engineer like i said in delhi i joined as a qa engineer so my job was to check the map data uh, you know map data is obviously you have the hard copy maps and then you're digitizing so you need to look at whether everything is there in the map and all that so it was not a very exciting job but still as a beginner obviously you get <laughs> don't get to choose too much so there was this you know whenever we had free time like typical junior engineers right we would play games prince of persia and uh, you know pac man those were the games in those days so we would play all that but i was games also so then i just was walking around and i looked at a cupboard which was not maintained it had a lot of files and it was all dusty and not uh, set up properly so then i said hey let's clean this up and i actually started cleaning that uh, shelf and setting the files uh, properly and the others were laughing at me and said hey this is not an engineer's job why are you doing it right but what happened was obviously to clean and put it right i had to look at the documents and then file it into the documents and then put it right after two weeks i heard a conversation where our director was talking to my manager saying that they're looking for some document which they are not able to find and absolutely it was urgent and people were just running around in in a panic mode and i said hey i think i saw it there sorry for overhearing your conversation but i think i saw it there right and it was there uh, and it was so important uh, it made so much difference and it just happened that you know next two three times it happened that i was able to find the information for whoever was asked so i was just a junior engineer for six months after that i was made the mis manager because i knew where to find the information <laughs> in fact i was thinking like a gps data 
had a geographical information on where everything is inside the Pergamon. <laughs> Yeah, that was one experience I wanted to share that just be open and do what you think is right, right? Because uh, you never know what could turn into uh, something uh, as an opportunity. The second experience probably I can share is when I was with Hexaware, I was supposed to travel to Minneapolis for an engagement where we were supposed to calculate the center of gravity of the aircraft. Okay, so very interesting project. How do you calculate when you load the various weights? Where do you put in the hold? How do you place the cargo? Where do you keep your, you know, other stuff? So there's a lot of different things based on which you have to calculate the center of gravity. And that's a very important calculation for the airline industry. So I was very excited to be part of that program. And I was supposed to travel on the Saturday. And what happened was on Thursday night, there was this other peer who was supposed to travel to New York for Citibank, North America. And he was supposed to be doing a mainframe implementation, mainframe with some kind of a Java uh, connection. I had absolutely no idea about mainframe, right? And uh, it so happened that on Friday, Thursday night, this person fell down the staircase and broke his leg. So he could not travel. And in the whole organization, there was only one person with a visa to travel. And that was me. Right. So on Friday morning, my supervisor tells me, Anu, you need to go to Citibank, North America. And I'm telling him, I don't know mainframe. I have no idea what you're trying to do. (laughs) What do you want me to do there? Uh, You know, he said, don't worry. We are sending two other, you know, fresh graduates. They were working on the program for the last six months. Absolutely fresh guys. They've done their homework. They'll come with you and in the plane, they will tell you what's happening on this program and but you need to go, right? I was very skeptical, but I didn't have a choice. So I just had to sit on the plane. And then these two guys were feeding me with a lot of information on, you know, what this project is all about. And then we landed there. And the first question the client asked us is, who in the three of you is the mainframe expert? <laughs> <laughs> So we were stumped as soon as we entered, but I'm so happy to share that this was one of my best programs that we delivered. We got five out of five rating from the customer at the end of the engagement. And I was also offered a job in Citibank, which I refused, of course, but I was told if you want, you can join here in North America Citibank. What I wanted to just share is, you know, often these these kind of doors which suddenly open and you just grab those opportunities, you know, something nice is awaiting at the end of the tunnel. Just take some risks and enjoy the journey. Love your, love your story on the uh, crux of center of gravity, actually looking and finding it's in financial space. Yeah. Such a vibrant city of New York. Amazing. So uh, you spoke about data uh, in a very real sense, right? Because uh, data is all, data is a new oil. If, if right now, if you look at it, uh, tech industry is one of the highest uh, valued organizations across the globe. And uh, when I look at data, right, I have both sides of the game. One is data. Uh, from a decision-making process, it makes sense. Having uh, ob- both your eyes open and taking the decision data, all of that. If you look at data, if I do uh, look at data, takeout.google.com, you will see how much of data that we have provided to all these big companies. I mean, 
what is your take on that being a data aficionado and building your base and everything on data what is your view when it comes to the level of data you and i tech industry we are in this position imagine uh, the normal uh, people on the ground what is your statement as far as data is concerned so your question is more in terms of the data security or you're gently talking about how people are collecting data and uh, how yeah. that oh, the second one how, how much of data being and uh, then so what is your take on that yeah i think in last 10 years uh, we've seen this uh, you know frenzy of activity around collect- collecting data and everyone wants to collect data and most people what they're doing is they're just dumping it into a data lake right they don't even know what to do with the data right so there's huge volume of information sitting there multiple copies multiple versions and it's just lying there as storage even some of the organizations i've worked with i've seen that they've just put the data in the data lake and then they don't even know how to retrieve it or use it for better analysis purposes of course we are seeing a trend where people are able to you know slowly work towards building more uh, intelligent dashboards based on data collected right and store it right and then make useful messages out of it i feel data is useful to provide a best a better experience to customers um, personalization is all about you know today's world right uh, so you can personalize only if you have some level of information right and most of this information is about your phone numbers is always known phone numbers email id has become like a regular information without which you cannot really log in uh, you know into your internet of things so it, that's not going anywhere right you just need to be careful about what you share and uh, and that information is sufficient for a lot of people in terms of how they can help you with a more personalized evolution of uh, software implementation so i think it's the balance that we have to strike behind what can be shared what cannot be shared and how do they use this information to create a better experience rather than uh, some kind of a misuse so uh, i think a lot of people are not educated in terms of when to share and when not to share that is the key thing uh, in china for example there's no policy on data protection no data is completely owned by the government the government has access to all your information including the websites everything is monitored so basically there's nothing hidden from the government but the the good thing is that the government has actually uh, got controls in place to monitor and take action in the right sense so i think that that's a good way of implementing it having the right controls uh, making sure that it, there's no misuse at the same time making uh, giving the ability to share information for people so that they can get customized experiences in india and a few other countries even north america for that matter i don't think we've still got there we are far behind in terms of our data policies in fact i would say china is way ahead in terms of software uh, implementations uh, as well as their entire journey on implementing some of the technology implementations whether it's ev av or data analytics ai machine learning deep learning they are way ahead of other countries so i think it's just a question of finding the right balance from each country so that customer is protected as well as uh, the implementations help people yeah agree personalization right without personalization i can't imagine even our news right 
while our newspaper get, has everything my google news actually tells me exactly what i want exactly and, <laughs> uh, and these are my interests and uh, things like when i have already read something doesn't even come and pop up my youtube so while i like some of these things i, I last time uh, when i opened my takeout.google.com it told me that i have almost 26 gb of data of my my browsing my all that information is present sound like you said right hey don't even know where to start this is just me as a person not even my company nothing i'm just one firm uh, so uh, what i'm um, i think what you said is right thing in terms of having a balance each company needs to balance how much of data are they collecting and putting the safeguards in place the security the moment i asked data you said are you talking about data security that's really the first thing that has to come in everybody's mind and education is the hardest thing that is going to come up i can't imagine yeah. how the world is going to change right changing gears from uh, data i see you when i heard your story right you traveled across india you've gone to the us you also then gone to china so many countries this is story as a woman leader as well as a person with a family um, how do you take those decisions what are the factors of obviously your family support is important or, or that is given is there any factor that says okay maybe if it is a short term i will take it or if it's a very good long position what are the factors that you have so typically i've been a very independent and risk taking kind of profile you know i make some quick decisions but early on when um, early career i think when my daughter was young uh, smaller kids definitely i used to think a lot uh, in terms of uh, decisions that i make because especially when you come from a background where uh, there's there's nobody to really show you this can be done as an example like for example i'm the first engineer in my entire family uh, there was nobody behind, before me who had done engineering so when i joined engineering obviously and that too you know out of host staying in a hostel and uh, studying in a co-ed college and my my aunts and all frowned at us and said this is not the right decision but i think uh, i just listen to my mind and my heart says this is what i want to do i think that's the first thing right if i if i think that this is uh, absolutely something that i want to do and then of course the support of your near and dear one how do they react to this and will they sometimes you just have to get take a, an estimate of how much of an impact this is going to be right and <laughs> like when i went to china i couldn't take my daughter along so obviously there is an impact my daughter and my mother in law could not come along uh, so so there is an impact but as long as your family can support and uh, you're able to make it happen i think we should make those steps to go where your heart goes take those risks where possible you know that's what makes your life enjoyable because you get to take you know not all decisions are yours right so some decisions at least you can make for yourself and then uh, things eventually do fall into place and work out and and then we realize that yeah probably this was the right thing to do instead of just brooding on you know waiting for the right opportunity i always think that whatever decisions i've made has taught me something and has been a happy journey and i've loved my decisions so i think it's just question of uh, listening to your heart so nice to talk about being the first engineer i remember uh, back in 2000 i was the first one in the entire family who had traveled out of abroad and uh, i remember so well 
Like I have my entire extended family almost. 18 of them have come to that home. <laughs> Why is my... <laughs> my colleague Rakesh Maurya had uh, his wife uh, come along while he was astounded that such a large family had come to spend me off. <laughs> and th- those days, I think you can come till the secure kitchen. You can uh, come inside and say <laughs> uh, goodbye. So I remember those days where, you know, when you become the first person, there is lots, always this fear, but it's also you become the uh, harbinger of those change. Yeah. So uh, the next generation doesn't fear that, okay, we do this or not, because somebody else will been the role model absolutely i think and women have come a long way from those days i think 1988 when i was uh, in fact before college uh, itself uh, two years i was in hostel i was in baroda i had to stay in a hostel because my parents had moved to chennai and i had to finish my 11th and 12th so that itself was like a complete no-no and my attes and all would be really upset. Even to talk to me, they'll start crying, <laughs> saying that you're in, <laughs> you know, just for education purpose, why do you have to go to such lengths? You know, why can't you just get, get married and settle in? But I think thinking back, obviously, proud of where I am, proud of my dad who supported me in all this, uh, didn't give in to pressures from the family to say that this is right or wrong right that is the biggest thing right the parents support you may think that everything that you've done is yours to take the decisions everything but the level of pressure they must have been it is amazing right i'm so proud of the kind of levels you've come to and the, i'm reaching to ask from the beginning is around rpa what is it that in rpa that is making you on your feet because you being a lifelong learner i thought uh, that must have been a piece of cake <laughs> to take a aiml kind of a program with your data background and your disciplined program management skill isn't it similar to the bpm of the world business process management where you entirely map it to not have the stage how different is it so the best part about rpa right all along uh, we've been I see it as a system world and then something outside the system world, right? So all IT systems, all processes, data, everything, we've kind of built walls around it as systems landscape. And there are a lot of siloed implementations which happens. And we don't really connect to the last mile of every every effort that we do, right? be it getting data from external stakeholders, you know, files coming in and going out. A lot of people have to put in a lot of uh, business efforts to create a, a subset of data to share with other stakeholders. You know, same set of data being pumped into multiple different systems because of the siloed approaches to uh, how software has evolved. Like, for example, in the Ford world, right? The vehicle, when you set up a vehicle information, the vehicle has a, a certain configuration. It is, you know, it's called X in a market, uh, uh, say in, in Australia, it's called X. And in Saudi Arabia, it's called Y. These are all configurations. These are simple data setups. But because of the siloed way, how the organization has grown, this data needs to be set up in multiple different systems in different ways. That itself takes a whole lot of people to be doing this every day in and out. 
And the beauty of RPA, which I realized after moving into the space is RPA just becomes one other person of business, right? Is just saying, here, let me take that, that mundane task of yours and I can do it for you. It's sitting outside the system. It can go across system. It's system agnostic, right? The beauty of RPA is that you don't have to build and stay within those walls. You can go to different systems. You can go to a mainframe. You can go to an Excel. You can go to a Java, SAP, anything. There are plugins available. You can go to the UI, just pull the data. You don't have to look at backend integrations and in integrations are expensive. Here you are, you're able to bridge all those gaps with some simple automations that you can do with small scripting or uh, UI capture. So that's the beauty of RPA. And I think it's gonna stay. And though it's a little, a little temporary in nature, because these gaps mostly will be temporary in nature. That's why probably some nobody spent time to build those as part of the software systems. But these bots come in and they enable you to bridge all those gaps in terms of data validation, reconciliations. Imagine the amount of effort people put in. Even today as program leads and you know general managers, we have to do so much of reconciliation for data, right? But if the bots can do it, they can do your monitoring, they can do your operations management intelligently. Using AI, there's so much of innovation that is possible. AI brings in the ability to do simple decisioning, right? You're able to make a call on some of those things that you see. So the bot and the AI combination is absolutely a fantastic combination. And it brings a whole new frontier, which helps and enables business which was not there before. So it's going to stay and it's definitely going to keep growing into something much more bigger. Amazing. You know, if you do forward gazing or if you do future gazing, what is the technology that you can see? Um, I know, I remember at least four of my guests have spoken about RPA. And here you are doing RPA today and saying how cool it is to say, think of RPA as another business user having a seat in the table. It's almost humanizing the RPA part of it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's so much still to be done because this space is uh, evolving at a very rapid pace. There are the NLP engines in different languages because language enablement uh, is growing day by day. The NLP engines which bring in this AI, the machine learning part of it, where we are building all those fancy data models and based on which we are able to come up with those insights based on which we are able to act. Previously, when we did Hadoop and all the data analytics and all, you could create the dashboards, you could do the analytics and that's there to see and then you can react on it, right? As a human, you would react on it. But now the bots can go there, see that report and they can act immediately. That's the beauty of RPA. So when you combine it, the AI, ML, and RPA together, the beauty is to be able to act on what you see and go to every mile. So the so the future, when, when we actually have a lot of technologies to enable AI, ML, the image-based searches, right? Google Lens is doing it. In fact, in China, um, the Alibaba groups and all, they, they have superb image recognition. You can buy things just by showing them a photograph. So, okay. uh, but we are not there yet. Even our Amazon searches are not there yet. You know, if you go and search on your 
Flipkart or Mintra and all, you wouldn't be able to do image-based searches. But that's going to be something very exciting because based on images, now you don't need words. You just can show a photograph and you're done, right? So that's exciting days to be in for manufacturing companies like ours. I think, you know, ability to find parts in your warehouse just by the image, right? Uh, you don't need to know the name of the part or the part number. You know, it's so difficult to remember things or find the data in terms of what that part is, right? If you can just show, oh, this is the thing I'm looking for. You don't need to know that this is a charger, right? So that's the exciting part of image recognition. So image, voice, and the ML part of it, of course, with NLP in different languages, is absolutely going to revolutionize the entire industry. Of course, RPA will continue to be the last mile connectivity, the, uh, the task master, uh, the action taker behind the scenes. That's still going to be RPA. And the big systems will continue to do their, you know, oh, I'm so big that I cannot be bothered with all these smaller task implementations. That will still continue. So I think this just builds on the ecosystem of applications. Very nicely put, Tano. Uh, with that, looking at the future, I want to, I know we are off time. So would you like to share some young professionals who are just joining? Uh, what is it that they need to uh, take it to heart uh, from your experience? From my experience, what I've learned, and that's what I'm sharing, right, is to be open. I think that's very important that you stay open. Uh, you don't close your doors by saying, oh, I'm a Java expert or I'm a BI expert. Don't close your doors. Keep it open. Be flexible in terms of exploring journeys. And uh, sometimes when we go through the lowest of lows, we think that, oh, why do I have to you know, is this uh, my worst days coming in kind of thing. There's something really nice and shiny at the other end of it. So don't lose heart, uh, you know, stay focused. Uh, and uh, maybe there's something more exciting you can build on it, right? So like, for example, the RPA journey I had, I was thinking that this is probably, you know, people are pushing me into corners because, you know, <laughs> they didn't want me into a particular role or something. That's what my first thought was. But then I think after I've spent a year, I've realized absolutely what a fantastic boon it was for me. So don't lose heart and take some risks. Build a brand for yourself. You should be known for something, uh, you know, as simple as when you, when I wash my vessels, my mother-in-law can make out that I washed it. That's, that's my brand because uh, that's how I do it, right? So everything that we do, we should, we should have our strengths in mind. We should be clear in terms of how we want to shine and have a brand of our own. So knowing ourselves, that will actually help us to be at peace with ourselves and not really look at running after people who are doing 10 other different things. You can always build your own brand. You can feel comfortable wherever you are and still be happy. So take care of yourself and enjoy your journey as you go through it. Enjoy it. That's most important. Thank you. Thank you with that note. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I had a great deal of a time to talk about your journey and your learnings. I hope listeners too. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Gayatri. Definitely. We thank Siddharth for the music and Malavika for promoting the Software People stories. If you like this episode, 
please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.